Hello, everyone. Uh, one of the biggest days uh, in tennis looms large. The men's final, Roland Garros, between uh, Rafael Nadal and Dominic Thiem. Uh, it's going to take place uh, approximately, you know, less than 12 hours from now. Uh, we have Mert Ertunga, uh, who's just retired to his room in Paris after a long day at the venue. It's probably 1 a.m. there, and it's very kind of him to be doing this. Hi, Mert. Hi, Sakib. I'm ready to talk tennis anytime, especially with you. Pleasure is all mine, and I'm sure the listeners are enjoying. By the way, if you haven't been reading some of the brilliant pieces Mert has written, just tune into his Twitter handle and just uh, relive some of the technicalities, and you might have missed the entire match that you might have watched. That's how good those breakdowns have been. So, Mert, before we get into the men's action that's uh, coming our way tomorrow, uh, Simona Halep won a match, and uh, I believe Sloane Stevens did not lose it. Is that also your takeaway from that match? There was a lot of problem solving going on. Yes, that you you summarize it very well in one word. There, uh, problem solving. That is exact. That is exactly what uh, Simona Halep did, and she didn't just. Uh, she, you know, it's one of these things where you play a match and uh, you start out. And you go down, you lose the first set, you're, you're down a break in the second. But to be quite fair, she started looking for solutions before 6-3-2 love came around. She was already trying different things at, uh, at the end of the first set at 2-5. Uh, there, there's a point at 2-5 where she tried to hit some high top spins, some slices, some, uh, some loopers, all in one point. She even won that point. But, uh, but the problem was that uh, she was playing against someone who was not missing at all, and she was playing, Sloane Stevens, that is. She was playing with the confidence that she, that she got from the break up uh, early in the first set. If the, 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 the interesting thing is, Saki, if you look at the first, uh, first couple of games, the first two games of the match, actually the, 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 un, the amount of unforced errors that two women committed were about the same. It's just, it just so happened that uh, Simona Halep made uh, three unforced errors in that third game alone, the t- two of them coming at the end from 30 all on. And she went down, Sloan Stevens held, and then from that point on, Sloan Stevens being ahead made it look like Halep needed to look for solutions, and she did. Uh, but when you're up a break, like you were in Sloan Stevens's case, a lot of things seem to work right, and you don't miss many shots, and you seem to dominate the the, the points, and um, and that's what she did until two love, and right there in that two love game, Simona actually played a very um, she tried another thing yet, you know she she was just like you said she was trying to problem solve, she was seeking solutions, and she tried to. Uh, attack and move into the court. In fact, in that first game, she hits three swing volleys away, uh, which is something that she's been criticized in the past years for not taking balls in the air when she gets the chance. But she does it there, and she gets back to 2-1. And then uh, those three games right there from 2-1 to 2-4, Sloan Stevens probably played her worst stretch of the um, of the match thus far. And I, and I emphasize thus far because she's played – a superior brand of tennis until then. And it would have been a little bit unrealistic, in my opinion, to expect that to continue all the way to the end. So Sloan contributed a little bit to that uh, little sequence right there. But outside of that, we have to give all the credit to Sloan, uh, to, to Simona Halep. And I would not call this match a match that Sloan Stevens lost because of that little, little uh, stretch right there. 
Simona Halep looked for solutions, found them, she executed them, and she stuck with it with them, and she found a particular pattern from the baseline that started working real well for her, and she stuck with it all the way through the third set. Again, I'm, I've been taking notes from, you know, your writing and your speaking, and um, I, I did my own little analysis, and I'm going to just run it by you. So d- during that phase, when uh, in the second set, when things got a little complicated for both both girls, and it, it became for all, I, I noticed... Simone, uh, sorry, Sloane Stephen is uh, quite comfortable when she's being moved from side to side because her movement is excellent. And not only she absorbs the pace, she re- redirects uh, a difficult ball and makes it a neutral ball. But at the s- same time, after longer rallies, as the match progressed, maybe she was tired or maybe Simona had solved the problem by then. I realized more balls ever just going straight to Sloane. She started making errors. When she was on the run, she doesn't miss much. Is that something you also notice or that's just part of her being tired? No, you are exactly right. Uh, that The pattern that you just described happened. In fact, I talk I talk about that in my in my piece that I put up on Twitter just about an hour ago, my match analysis. Uh, Sloane Stevens is excellent at, uh, at counter-punching when she's on the move. And, and her movement also allows that because she's, 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 for example, she hits that the type of two-hander where she can stretch to the side uh, kind of put her left leg out wide and push off of it to hit it back, which allows for a good flat counter punch using the opponent's ball's pace. And, uh, and, and, and therefore she's more comfortable when she's a little bit on the move, trying to hit the, trying to get the balls back and also try to counter punch for winners. And the fact that Simona was trying to hit the open Parts of the court throughout the first set and a half was helping Sloan out because then she could just be on the move and get those balls back. But then starting with the um, with the, with the uh, four, I believe it was the four-two game is the first time that I I clearly saw Alep um, try this. Simona started to um, to, uh, to to send some balls back, high loopy mid pace, reserved top spin shots back to Sloan's backhand over and over again. And then when she got that one shot where she could accelerate, she would accelerate to Sloan's forehand. So so she, she got into this steady flow of, um, of feeding Sloan's backhand a lot of balls and then accelerating to Sloan's forehand. And there and I give many examples of, of, of what points to watch for those who can go back and watch it in my, in my piece. That pattern right there made... Sloan static. In other words, she started standing on one side of the court and, and hitting a lot of backhands back. They were kind of high and loopy too, so she couldn't create too much off of it. And then all of a sudden, she would get one big strike to her forehand where she had to move to the side and, and get the forehand back, and she made some errors on those. So yes, uh, her movement was uh, her movement on the run is a lot more efficient than if she has to stand and engage in. Uh, monotonous, one-dimensional type of rallies. That is correct. All right, so one last question on the women's final before we start, you know, uh, taking a viewpoint on the, the big men's match tomorrow. So how impressed are you from Sloane Stevens' overall accomplishment this week? And is she that tough a customer that, uh, you know, even Matt Zemek was on yesterday in the, and he said uh, Darren Cahill has his hands full and, you know, decomposing the, the Stevens game. So it took a while, but uh, Halep got over the hump, but it seemed like a pretty tough task. Yes, no, Sloane Stevens is a very tough task, but we we also have to remember that she doesn't she doesn't bring this game uh, to the table every single time. She goes through bad patches too. 
She, you know, we've seen this in, in the, we've seen her good, her, her great play in the U.S. Open and again here, but she also goes through some bad patches. So she has to become more consistent in that sense. But, but, but if, when she's on, when she's playing a tournament like she played uh, here, she's very tough to beat because she's hard to read, first of all. She can, uh, she doesn't have big swings. In other words, she has compact swings. It's hard to read where she's going to hit the ball. And she's able to generate pace going down the line off of a cross-court shot as well as she can going cross-court off of a down-the-line shot. That is not an easy skill to have. To have, You have to have great timing, and, and she has great timing on both of those. And one thing about Sloane Stevens, and there are very few players um, – uh, in the WTA tour that comes to mind, Kiki Burton's is another one, is she has great anticipation. I mean, Simona Hallett was hitting some shots that that would have been winners or at least would have put some other players on the stretch. And it seemed like Sloane Stevens was already moving to that side before Simona even started her swing. So she reads the she reads the ball well. But one thing that she should get out of today's match, or wish we as uh, as watchers should get out of it, I'm sure I'm sure Sloane is aware of it herself, and I think she talked about it actually after the match, is that one thing she could learn from Simona from today is the problem solving part. In other words, once Simona got the upper hand and she started imposing this one particular pattern to uh, to Sloane Stevens, Sloane didn't really come up with different. Uh, different angles for example she didn't try to she didn't try to attack back down the line when Simona Halep hit those down the line accelerations she didn't try to when she had Simona on the run and Simona was get was on the stretch looping balls back in other words floating them up in the air she didn't move in and try to hit those in the air for swing volleys and these are things that she has to she has to adjust to. You know, she she was in every game in that third set. She was in every game. She got the thirty all almost in every game. But uh, but it just it, it just you know she just couldn't find a solution to that one pattern where she was getting a lot of balls to her backhand and then she was getting a fastball to her forehand. And in those and in those types of rallies, it didn't. Not every point went that way, but three or four points in each game went that way, and most of those went Simona's way. And she didn't really, uh, uh, she didn't seem to come up with solutions. I'm not even sure if she was really searching for some. So that's just experience, you know. It's, it's she, she's yeah. she's gonna the more she the more she appears in the finals of majors or semifinals of majors, the more she's gonna adapt to this. Oh, most definitely, she definitely seems destined. Her game is made for big time tennis and. She's, you know, we are all witnesses right now what she's been able to do in such a short time after that injury. So that was a good recap for anyone who's listening and what the final in this, you know, I'm sure a lot is said about a tennis with an accent site with, with Mert and Matt and uh, Jane and Brianna, a lot of analysis going on there. So you can tune into that. And now let's move on to Rafael Nadal. I mean, this man, again, uh, there's not much to be said. So my conversation is mostly coming from the Dominic team point of view because Nadal, is like the mission impossible in tennis, especially it gets more magnified on Chartrier than any other clay court in the world. So let's get into that, Mert. So you think, is Dominic team the best candidate if we have to pick one from rest of the field? He's obviously earned his way. He's earned some of your rave reviews about his uh, you know, famous infamous IQ on tennis court. You think he's the best candidate to go out there and you know represent what uh, so many people from this field haven't been able to do to beat Nadal in a best of five and that too on a final. He probably hasn't even lost, hasn't gone five sets in ever a final in Roland Garros. 
No, that is correct. Yes, he, has, he hasn't lost in the finals at Roland Garros. What Dominic team is going to have to do tomorrow is what uh, what uh, Captain Kirk says every time the Enterprise goes on a mission, which is to go where no one has uh, gone before, to boldly go where no one has gone before. And that is exactly what Dominic team is going to have to do. He's going to have to boldly go where no one else has gone before, which is to beat Rafael Nadal in the finals of uh, of French Open on Philippe Chartier, where where you know, figuratively speaking, it's a, it's a second residence, you know, after Mallorca. And uh, and just like you said, we can, we, we've run out of superlatives to use for uh, Rafael Nadal. So the, the, the big question becomes, what can Dominic team do to, uh, to even have a sliver of a chance to, to come out with, to come out with the win here, but to come back to your original question. Yes. If, if we take 2018 into, into account and clay court performances as of late, into account we there's 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 no other player at this point who uh, who have who has any type of a chance against Nadal on clay on Philippe Chatrier other than Dominic Team uh and, and he's and he's duly in the finals i think it's i think it's a great setup in other words if 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 we were to try to predict who would be you know the two the two best players on clay in the French Open in the finals. Probably many of us would have picked uh, Rafael Nadal and uh, Dominic Team to play in the finals, but it's a daunting task, and uh, the, the and Team does have um, does have a couple of things working in his favor. One of them is strictly tactical or shot oriented, and the other one is is that uh, Rafael Nadal has not uh, played his best uh, throughout this French Open. Uh, I don't know if I would have to, out of the French, all the French Open tournaments that he has won in the past, the 10 that he has won, but I don't remember every single match, every single point, but I do remember 10 times, in other words, all those 10 years that he won, thinking, wow, this is just, he's, he's at it again. He's just playing hard again. Here we go again. Here's the recital again. He's just incredible, awesome. But uh, I haven't seen him play that way this French Open. Now, granted, he's still rolling through people, and and, and he's reached the final without uh, without much problem. But I don't believe we've seen 100% Nadal by any means in this tournament. I, in fact, I think that he's operated at uh, at 60 or 70% at best. And uh, and and ho- hopefully for team. I mean, if you're a team fan, you would like that trend to continue. That's the only way he's going to have any chance. All right, so. Again, novices like me, we don't know the technical know-how like you do, but I'm going to pose in few, you know, few questions that I think uh, may work in at least team's favor for him to at least extend this match uh, into the longer version, which is the best of five set. Uh, since the second coming of Federer and Nadal, they have taken almost every slam, and if Nadal wins tomorrow, they would have wiped the floor with the last six majors. Uh, so do you think this version of Nadal, I think he's as good a front runner as he was in his peak, I have some doubts, uh, especially going back to the Zverev match in Rome, which we have talked many times, you know, the last week uh, offline. When Zverev won that 11 or 10 games, you know, that's in the Rome final, that stretch, or 9 of 11 games, Nadal looked kind of very unsettled. And that's not the Nadal. I know he's a very uh, competitive character. He always is, you know, some sort of, you know, body language he's communicating to his uh, his box. And we, we, we know that. That's how he plays. He's always emoting. But at the same time, th- he, he looked like, I don't want to use the word panic, but he didn't look himself. And uh, again, you've written that article about Schwartzman and that you've also referenced as where a rain match in Rome. Uh, you think th- th- there's a chink in the armor? There's like certain urgency? He doesn't want to go the distance? He'll finish the job? Uh, 
if it's easy, but if it gets complicated, as great his legacy is, you know, on, on Philip Chatria, you think that's where team has a chance? Of course, he has to win a set to even keep it close. But if it goes uh, into a closer match, you think that's where team is is fit enough to uh, last a distance? And second part of the question is Nadal. Has Nadal impressed you mentally in the last few years? Going back to the Luka Pui five-set loss and Fonini even a few years ago. He did beat Dimitrov. I know it's kind of a vast question. So I'm I'm banking if it's a five-setter. Does he have the goods still? Because he's definitely demolishing everyone in three or four sets. But if it goes a distance, is there any self-doubt that can creep in? Yes, I think uh, the Rafael Nadal himself, in fact, has said in the past or even in this tournament that, uh, yes, he does. He's, he's genuine with his uh, with his emotions. Like that. He usually talks openly about these things, about his passion and, and his doubts. And and you are right that in the, in the in that round final against Zverev, he did look at one point his body. I don't want to say it negative, but uh, but his body language did not look as pumped up. Let's use that word as pumped up as he, as he usually is. And same thing happened here, you know, early in the second set against Schwartzman, where he was looking. You know, he, he was not his usual uh, chirpy self for about a game or so. So, yes, there's a, there's a bit of a chink in the armor. But I think that, that again, that relates to the fact that I don't think he himself is, is totally satisfied with the, with the performance that he's put out so far in terms of his game. Um, now, as to, um, as to whether he will uh, doubt himself to the point where he's going to lose three sets, uh, it, it's that the Dominic team is going to have to do a lot himself there. In other words, uh, he cannot he cannot depend on that. We're talking about possibly the toughest mental competitor that I've seen in my lifetime. Rafael Nadal is the toughest competitor mentally that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And, and his record on break points and how clutch he is every time a, a four all 30 all point comes around or a tiebreaker three all point comes around – you know his record for for all those types of points speaks for itself. So I, I um, you know, the 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 problem with this type of analysis, Sakib, I feel, uh, or the shortcoming of it. I don't want to say the problem, but the shortcoming of this type of analysis. While we're saying all this, we're not taking into account that the man on the other side, which is Dominic Team in this case, but it could be someone else, will probably have more lapses than Rafael Nadal will have in during the match. In other words, even a, even a Rafael Nadal with a chink in the armor, as, 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 you, as you call it, uh, will probably play every single point with more concentration, more intensity than any X, Y, or Z player on the other side of the net. So the question then becomes, is team going to go above and beyond his capacity and and stay at his best throughout a three four set or a three set four set or a five set encounter. This is just really tough proposition. No, fully agreed. We've seen that with Roger Federer in the early uh, phase of that rivalry when they met in Roland Garros five times in like in a span of seven years, and Federer really was going for too much. And of course, his game didn't really measure up to Nadal on clay. But you know, let's not uh, make uh, the mistake. And I think you are absolutely right. You do press in these situations. Because you know how good the other guy is and uh, nothing to take away from Nadal. And one more question on team then. Uh, how important is self-belief? I know he's done it three times on different occasions, once in South America and then most recently in, in Rome last year and Madrid this year. I know Madrid is a completely different clay court uh, than uh, Roland Garros uh, in altitude, speed, and even the size uh, of the court. Uh, 
how, how important is self-belief, even though, you know, no other man than Djokovic has beaten Nadal more than twice on clay. So team does have a distinction. He's a very small club by himself. Uh, he has three wins. And uh, Gunther Bresnik is, you know, this is the match I'm, I'm sure they, they geared up for. The rest of uh, teams, teams, teams' year is defined by this. In a very sh- uh, short career, he, he's kind of been clubbed as a clay court specialist. Maybe he thinks it's unfair, but this is a match he's going in, which is going to define, you know, his year. And maybe if he wins tomorrow or if he loses by putting a fight, will be, again, a testimony towards him. Again, going back to the question, how, how, how big is belief going to be here in this, in this kind of a final? Yeah, I think this is one thing that that, uh, that that team has got going for him. I don't believe he's going to actually walk out there tomorrow thinking that, uh, in other words, on Sunday when he walks out onto the court, I don't think he's he's walking out there with the same attitude that uh, most other players walk out there when they play one of the elite you know, players in our sport. I don't believe he's walking out there with the thought that he's going to lose. I, I, I really believe he's going to go out there thinking that he has a chance to beat Nadal. And... Uh, uh, he he does have confidence in himself. One thing that I do like um, uh, about teams play in from the quarterfinals and semifinals is that he's uh, he's certainly thinking more on the court, and also his serve has worked out real well for him. In other words, he's hitting some uh, some serves out wide, which could really work well for him. But remind me the first part of your question, because you said something interesting there that that, uh, that I want to respond to also, and then I got caught up responding to the last part. Remind me, re- repeat the beginning of your question one more time. No, the question is focusing on, on the belief. Uh, that, uh, you know, does he really walk in? Because that's, that's huge in this kind of a match. Uh, that's the question. Yeah. And, and then the comparison is, you know, he's uh, someone who's done it on three different occasions. I think in 2015 or 2016, he did it in South America. And then he won, you know, two recent matches, one last year and then one in Madrid this year. So yes. those courts really don't serve as a good testament. Whatever happens in Madrid stays in Madrid, doesn't really carry over to Roland Garros in terms of conditions. No, I, I disagree. I, I disagree. I disagree. I think, uh, you know, the fact that he's been able to beat Nadal before will certainly play a positive role for him in his mind. Uh, I also believe that he, he, he believes that he can stay with Nadal from the baseline in the point. It's, it's all going to depend on, uh, it's, it's going to depend a lot on how he starts, uh, Sakit, not just only how team starts, but how Nadal starts. You know, Nadal can sometimes have a slow start to matches. In other words, he can commit. Uh, he might play some matches where he commits five or six unforced errors in the first two or three games. This is the type of start that, that team needs from Nadal, and then from that point on, if he believes in himself, I mean, team is able to team is able to pull some great shots from 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 impossible angles. So he he's a shot maker, uh, but again, I, he, he needs to he needs to serve smartly. He needs to serve to the outside on both sides. He did it against Zverev. He did it on and off against um, in the semifinals against Cecchinato, um, and I believe. Uh, I think against Chekinato, actually, she, he went up for three, and he was doing it consistently like he did against Zverev again in the first set. And then he stopped for a little bit and just, just went back to just hitting the ball without thinking too much. He needs to stay consistent. He needs to stay focused. And he can start off, his, at least on his service game, he can start off the points by putting Nadal way outside the court and hopefully winning the point on the next shot. In other words, execute the one-two punch. And to be able to do that consistently, he needs to get his first serve in consistently and out to the side. 
and I think he can. I, I think he can do that. That's the, you know that's one um, pattern that I think is could work for him as long as he keeps getting those serves in. Now the question becomes, what is he going to do on uh, on Nadal's serve? Perhaps attack on on uh, some of Nadal's second serves, or if he gets any type of a short ball, uh, go for go for big uh, flat sharp cross court hits, push Nadal out to the backhand a few shots in a row, and, and then and then accelerate towards his forehand, make Nadal stretch and hit a forehand back. Although Nadal is probably one of the best running forehand hitters in the history of the game, along with Pete Sampras. He has faltered some lately in, uh, you know, in, in those shots. So those are the little details that uh, the Dominic team is going to have to look for. But again, you know, we're saying all this, but if Nadal comes out tomorrow and shows his 100% version that he's shown for so long, for so long, for, for a decade, I don't know if there's anything team can do. If, if that's the case, you know, we're having this conversation, uh, at least I'm having this conversation based on the assumption that or based on the possibility that Nadal is going to come out and play no better than what he has shown so far in the French Open. And then a lot of things have to fall right for team. No, I totally agree. Nadal is a standard. So there's, again, as we talk about a lot of things, what's the weather going to be like? And uh, is there an ideal scenario in your mind as far as conditions go where Nadal could get into, you know, some sort of a battle with team because he's still the overwhelming favorite. So what's the weather going to be like tomorrow and and, and whose uh, game style this would uh, favor if there would be a favorite based on the weather? Well, according to according to at least the weather report that I have, tomorrow just shows cloudy and uh, there was a chance of rain, uh, a 50% chance of rain actually, if you looked at it 24 hours ago. But right now it just shows cloudy, cloudy all the way through, no rain, no precipitation. There's 10% here, 10% there. Uh, so at the time of, uh, that the match is supposed to begin, there's a 10% chance of precipita- precipitation. So I don't think uh, I don't think rain will be a factor, but a cloudy um, a cloudy sky. You know, I I, I don't I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that the uh, the weather is going to play that that bigger role. I think it's going to depend more on um, on the patterns that team can impose on Nadal if he can. And, uh, you know, the pattern that I just described, for example, serving, you know, getting that first serve out wide, pushing Nadal off the court, and then off of Nadal's return, hitting the one to the second part of the one-two punch to the open court. He needs to do that, whether it's sunny or whether it's cloudy or whether it's drizzling. And, uh, and, and I don't believe that the court's speed is going to, uh, is going to change that much. Uh, Rafa has played in the... Uh, in sunny weather before, Rafa has played in the rainy weather before. Uh, so has Dominic Team. I'm I'm not that big on um, on weather conditions as much as uh, other people are. I think it's going to. I think patterns that uh, that Dominic <clears throat> Team can put on display are going to matter a lot more. Okay, so let me put you right on the spot. I know it's a long night for you. Uh, who's going to win it, and how is this uh, going to end? Like how many sets? I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Rafael Nadal in straight sets. I uh, I said that back. Um, I said that back in um, you know when when Nadal played Wawrinka in the in the finals. Everyone was expecting um, a close match. I said that, that it's that Rafael Rafael is going to beat him in three straight sets, easy, and he did. And I'm usually a terrible predictor. But uh, but in but in this one but in this one case, in my, <laughs> I'm going to go with Nadal just to be on the safe side. 
Is, now, just just to be uh, just to be clear, is there a chance for team? Yes, there is, but a lot of things have to fall into place. You know, and and um, and even then, you know, it might work out for a set. It might work out for a set and a half, but Rafa will adjust. You know, Rafa, Rafa is a great um, problem solver himself. In fact, if you remember his match uh, last year at the U.S. Open against Juan Martin Del Potro, you know, he lost the first set and then he changed, he went ahead and came out with a whole new type of uh, pattern in the second set and it started working for him. You know, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of uh, examples of Rafa adjusting. So, no, I don't think so. I think uh, I'm, I'm going to take, uh, but again, to the listeners, I'm a horrible predictor. I've, uh, that's why I stay away from it. I, I, I a terrible record. So if you're actually a, if if you're an Nadal fan and you hear me say this, you should be worried. No, I mean your analysis is spot on, and now you're making me second guess what I have been saying uh, throughout these two weeks whenever I've spoken on this forum. So I'm gonna, you know, I can't, you know, take a U-turn now. So I'm gonna still say it's a five-setter, and against you don't want to bet against a man who's never lost here. So I'm gonna say Nadal in five. A team's gonna walk away with a lot of respect. But again, like you said, no, you might. After- yeah, no, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but but you might you might very well be right. Look, if again, if team imposes that uh, the couple of patterns that work for him, and Nadal happens to have an off uh, off day in the beginning, and team steals the first set, which by the way is a must. If Dominic team has any chance of winning here, he must win the first set, and that's just not that's not just for Dominic team. That's for any player, to be honest with you. Yes, in, in the ATP, he he must win the first set. And then from there on, you know, you, you, then you never know. There's no such thing as impossible in tennis. So that, that it's a cliche, but it's so true. One thing that I will add finally in, from team's perspective, if, um, if you're a tennis player, if you're Dominic team, and you were writing down the short, you were trying to figure out what's your shortest way to glory. In other words, what's the quickest way you can reach an elite status in the world of tennis never to be taken away from you again, ever? I mean, you want to put your name in the history books, perhaps guarantee your entry into Hall of Fame, et cetera, et cetera. This is your chance right here. You know, he, he cannot ask for a better opportunity to register himself in the name of in, 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 among the names of the elites to beat Rafael Nadal in the finals of the French Open. You know, it, it's not the same thing if he were in the finals of the Australian Open and he beat any of the other any of the elite players and won the Australian Open. That's different than beating Nadal here in the final and winning the French Open. His name skyrockets to the to the uh, to the ranks of the elites if he if he manages that. So this is, it's an opportunity like he like he'll never see again. There you go. I think I couldn't have said it better myself. The team can you know of course not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult, but this is a ticket. He can punch it, you know, and he would be known for lifetime and probably in a league of his own. And uh, yes, he could. He could reti- if he wins tomorrow. He could retire tomorrow evening <laughs> and be one of the most famous players of the last ten years. So there you go. So thanks again, Mert. This was valuable, and you know, we'll we, we'll be in touch, and we'll be you know looking for your Twitter commentary for this match. And uh, again, uh, it was wonderful talking to you. And everybody who listens in has already been, you know complimenting about uh, you know your reports and the podcast and these these are some great technical know-how uh, enjoy the rest thank you thank you very much i, I appreciate all uh, all the listeners and i certainly appreciate working with the tennis with an accent team this uh, throughout the year.